0: Welcome to the Fracture Line, the official weekly news feed from the Chess Wall Injury Society, where we will listen to all the bottom line CWIS updates, shout-outs, fun facts, and weekly banner. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Crisco, and I'm joined always by Dr. Tom White, Dr. Adam Kay, and Sarah Ann Whitbeck. Welcome back to Fractional Line, everybody. Today we're welcomed by Dr. Megan Lewis. Megan, thank you so much for joining us. We're really excited to chat with you today. As always, we like the guest host to just give us a little bit about yourself. Tell us where you are, what you're practicing, what you're passionate about, anything you want to tell us about yourself. Go for it.
1: Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks, Mark, and everyone for having me. It's just a privilege to be here. I am, when I talk about my background, I am a Navy brat who joined the Navy. (laughs) And when I grew up, my father was one that was watching MASH. So I guess that was my prelude to a career in medicine and the military and ultimately trauma surgery. So that's the story. And I had the privilege of training in Salt Lake City with the one and only Dr. Tom White at the the University of Utah Affiliated Hospitals. And he was one of the ones who taught me how to do surgical rib fixation. I'm
0: sorry about that, Megan. um, He also,
1: yeah, Yeah. (laughs) it's okay, I recovered. But he also incidentally took me to Haiti, which was uh, one of my first experiences with uh, international surgical collaboration, which has been an interest of mine since that time. And I've had the opportunity to do so in Italy, Germany, Cambodia, and, and most recently, Ukraine.
0: Well, that's awesome. Tell us about Ukraine. I'm very interested in your experience there.
1: What was that like for you? That was incredibly impactful and really just an amazing opportunity that was given to myself and some of my colleagues. Our group that went over there was teaching ATLS, and it was just a really remarkable experience to be interacting with these Ukrainian physicians who are living their lives and doing their work as part of the fight for their own independence and freedom. And uh, it was just really an incredible experience to, to be with them and to kind of feel their passion, so...
2: That's incredible. I'm actually quite jealous. I I have a passion for mission work and I just it's been hard just I think maybe because I'm landlocked in Nebraska to get over to other countries but I do love travel to travel and see the world so I commend you on that. That's an amazing job on your part and thank you for all that as well. Absolutely. I do have to ask, you know, graduating as one of Tom White's residents, like, what do you get a gift for him? I was thinking either a cane or a walker, but like, which one did you guys choose between?
3: (laughs) You're assuming he doesn't already have one.
1: (laughs) Shots fired
0: number one.
1: (laughs) I think I went with the cane disguised as a walking stick because he and I hiked up Timpanogas. So back then he was, he was maybe a, maybe a different man.
0: (laughs) i love it well you know he's not here to defend himself but absolutely
2: if you don't show it's fair game
0: oh it's totally fair game. that's
3: how unexcused absences work
2: that's why i scrubbed out of the or to come and be on fracture line because i didn't want to get the brunt of this group today
0: you don't want to get called out exactly
3: (laughs) now dr lewis i'm curious you went with some colleagues but it was obviously an organized group how did that come together and and with what group did you travel
1: over to ukraine Yeah, so I went over with Harvard Humanitarian Initiative and Dr. Jeff Anderson, who is also a military surgeon and one of our previous fellows at LA County USC was leading up the group and kind enough to sort of invite me along. So that's how that worked out.
3: That's very cool. Now you grew up, as you say, a Navy brat. So I'm guessing that you've lived in multiple places and, you know, kind of moved around, or at least that seems to be the model that that many people who grew up in that environment have been. Was that your experience as well?
1: Yeah, you know, for the first part of my life, it was largely sort of in the United States. So my father's tours were sort of East and West Coast United States. But when I went in myself, I took an OCONUS tour. So I was stationed over in Italy and did a little bit of work in Germany. So,
2: What's been your favorite place to travel to thus far?
1: Oh, wow. There's there's so many places, but I think I'll go with my favorite places, Italy, just because I lived there, and, and those places are near and dear to my heart. So there's two places. One of them is called Positano, which is one of the towns on the Amalfi coast. So if you've ever seen pictures of those sort of stacked colorful houses on a cliff. That's Positano, and it's just breathtaking. And then the other one is, is a place called Taormina and in Sicily. And it's like one of the few places where you can stand on a cliff and see Roman amphitheater and an active volcano and the sea and a beautiful small Italian town kind of all in one viewpoint. And so those were, those were my two things.
3: Sounds fantastic. That's very cool. Now at present, I understand you're at SC, is that correct?
1: Yes, absolutely. I'm faculty at uh, LA County USC.
3: Excellent, which I understand Caleb just won the uh, the Heisman, so we'll, we'll overlook that the University of Utah Utes just beat SC <laughs> in the Pac-12 championship, but that's okay. Aside from that and your experience at SC, maybe tell us a little bit about your SSRF experience at SC and how that compares to what your training was like with the University of Utah.
1: Yeah. So one of the things that it was requested is that I could talk a little bit about our recent research on surgical rib fixation. And we had two particular studies published this year that I think are of significance that I'd, I'd love to talk about. But as a matter of background, you know, LA County is a big county hospital, safety net hospital. And sure, we're, we're like all our peers in that you've got a surgeon of the day. And when you come in as surgeon of the day, for better or for worse, you're looking at a board of a whole bunch of acute care surgery cases. And. You've got incarcerated hernias and you've got necrotizing soft tissue infections and gangrenous gallbladders and open abdomens from damage control last night. And your job is to prioritize the board. So you can imagine coming into that and sort of trying to work through in your head where to put the rib fixation on that list. You really have to, as a surgeon, come to appreciate the value of the procedure and you know how is it gonna affect patients' outcomes and can I really feel confident that. I should prioritize this the way I prioritize removing a gallbladder or or fixing a hernia. And so that's sort of the background. And, you know, our group was obviously in these conversations and, you know, we all felt, I definitely felt that there were a lot of really great studies out there that had demonstrated, you know, significant benefits from surgical rib fixation. Definitely some prospective studies and, you know, a variety of benefits demonstrated, but there were also a few conflicting studies and those were sort of i guess murking the water a little bit and you know when we talked about that some of the things we thought were that some of these really good studies were, were small. We would have liked to see a bigger study. And then some of them had sort of heterogeneous populations. And so one of the things we like to do at LA County is do these really big database studies and get just a very large population of thousands of patients who are homogenous and take a look at one particular question and, and demonstrate an answer that you, that you can feel a bit of confidence in. And so that was, our, that was our first study published in the Annals of Thoracic Surgery was we looked at all of the isolated flail chests in the NTDB. And uh, we're able to demonstrate a mortality benefit in the patients who underwent surgical rib fixation compared to patients who are managed non-operatively. And so, you know, that felt pretty convincing, pretty good. Like, okay, now we can start prioritizing those patients on the board. And then where we went from there is, is we started to think, well, definitely for all comers overall, we can see that there's a benefit of rib fixation compared to non-operative management. But are there certain patients where maybe that's not true? Are there certain high-risk populations where, you know, the, the risks of doing an operation maybe are not justified and we should we should favor non-operative management in those? And so one of the populations that we really became interested in is uh, obese patients. As we've seen in the past that they're at higher risk for complications from trauma or from surgery in general. And so we're sort of asking the question, should, is this a a population who maybe shouldn't undergo surgical rib fixation compared to sort of the general population, and that was how we conceived of the most recent study that that I was asked to talk about, which is which was published uh, in the World Journal of Surgery, and one of our acute care surgery fellows, Josh Dilday, was first author on this, and he's also a military surgeon. And uh, what we found actually was that similar to overall, the obese patients benefit from surgical rib fixation, and there's a mortality benefit, and get them off the ventilator sooner, and especially if we do it within the first. 72 hours. So I think that both of these studies were really convincing for me and for us as a group and I think that they'll have an impact in the in the surgical community at large. So
0: as you're looking at your board now and you're prioritizing these patients across the board are you deeming these emergent and urgent? Do you have extra rooms for your rib fix cases now or do you just kind of have to smash them into the day? How how are you organizing that as a group?
1: Yeah. So still smashing at the moment, <laughs> but getting a little bit better at coordinating. I'm actually um, director of the ICU at LA County. And so I spend a lot of time in there. And I think all of us, when we're rounding in the ICU, are trying to see these patients on sort of the first day after they're admitted and, and starting to have those conversations about, okay, who's on this week? Who's on today? Who's on tomorrow? What's the board look like? Kind of the question that's always floating around. What's the board look like? <laughs> and think that, you know, always the preference is to do the case in the daytime, to do it planned. And so it's a bit of a scuffle to try to find out who the patient is, who their family is, get permission and and get all of that done within 72 hours. So I I think that's sort of, that is the story for us right now is trying to make all those moving parts fit together to, to do it. Yeah.
2: That sounds like a lot of work. I love that second study, the obesity one. I've seen that in my patient population. And I read your study, and I'm so glad that you were able to show the positive outcomes because I truly believe that as well. My question is, is it just you doing rib fixation? Or do you have several of your partners do it? Or how do you kind of work that in if, if someone is the surgeon of the day and doesn't do the rib fixation surgery?
1: So not everyone is necessarily interested in doing it. And so, again, that kind of comes into the smash part is those people that are interested are sort of uh, taking a look at the imaging the day before or reaching out to the person who's on call tomorrow and saying hey you know how would you feel about me taking the operating room to do this tomorrow you know obviously we do ask for an extra room if and when we can get it but sort of and I'm sure everybody's experiencing this sort of a post-covid nursing shortage so extra rooms are are sort of a commodity that that we're not seeing all that frequently at the moment but certainly hoping to get back to a place where where occasionally there is a elective room for us and and we can slot people into that
0: Yeah, no, I think that's everyone's wish list at this point in time. I mean, especially in some other high-risk populations, like my Elder League population, I can't wait 72 hours. By 72 hours, they're already on their way to brewing their pneumonia. You know, it should go within the first 24, and I never have rooms, and I don't have an extra room, and all this kind of stuff. So we need more studies and time for sure. I mean, we we were talking about this at the last meeting. 72 is the benchmark now, but it's probably earlier. You know, that is even better. But not having that room is difficult.
2: Yeah, I've been really disappointed at my university because I asked for my own OR called the bombing suite and no one would give it to me. And I'm not really 100% sure why.
3: (laughs) I'm certain if you donate enough, they'll build you one.
2: But I think that's going to be the quid pro quo there.
1: All I really wanted was the 7.30 block time, Monday through Thursday. Yeah. I mean, what's that?
0: How, yeah. Is that a big deal? That's, that's it. That's all I wanted. That's all. I, that's, all I need.
2: that's all I need. And I wanted a recliner chair in there with a TV. And I oh, totally. Did
3: Dr. White tell you what happened when he tried to text message you to reach out about today's interview? No, but I can't wait. Oh, to my goodness. It. So he had an old <laughs> phone number for you from when you were, you know, a resident. And so I saw your paper and I said, we got to reach out to Dr. Lewis. You know, this this will be great. You know, we'll have her on the pod. And so he sent this long text message. It was, it was eloquent, I, I will admit. And, you know, saying, oh, this paper's great, blah, blah, blah. And it went to some other person who had your old phone number. It was like... I don't know this person, and I don't know what the bleep you're talking about. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Other excellent. He's like, uh, so he forwards me the text message. He's like, I don't think I have her phone number anymore. I'm like, yeah, no, I don't think that's her. (laughs) (laughs) So then he reached out. I know, so fortunately, he was able to find your new number from your husband. So we were glad to connect
2: with you, but it it was fun. did bring me a good laugh. Megan, since he's not here, I need your best Tom White attending story when you were resident.
3: Or your best Haiti story. Either way. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I knew there, that there was one thing that I should have prepared for this that I, I didn't make happen, and uh, that might have been it. I, I probably should have made sure I had a really good one to, to get on here and humiliate him. But Haiti was really amazing. I I think probably the funny part about the story is is less about Tom and, and maybe more about me, but I was a resident at the time, and, and Tom was like, you know, I'm, I'm doing this trip to Haiti, and I'd love for you to come along and, and do surgery. And I said, well, you know, I would love to do that too, but we only, we only get three Three weeks of vacation a year and you know I'm in this long distance relationship and I just I don't know how my boyfriend's going to respond to me taking one of my three weeks going to Haiti to do more surgery and and he said well why don't you bring him along you know he said he can sterilize instruments and take pictures <laughs> or or whatever else you know he can come along <laughs> so so that's what I did so I, I brought my boyfriend on this this trip who fortunately now is my husband but yeah have stayed kind of close throughout the years, so I guess that's how he got my phone number through through my husband.
0: That, that sounds like a Tom move right there.
3: Exactly. No, you can, you can very crafty. Just bring,
0: you know? just bring your whole family. <laughs> just bring them all. We got it.
3: Exactly. If I want something, I'll figure out a way to make it happen.
1: <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> oh, I was going to say, maybe, maybe we talked to you about that trip because I actually – the other part of the story is I brought my mom along as well. <laughs> oh, <laughs> she, no, I didn't know. <laughs> that's even
0: better. That's um, funny.
1: Uh, We were going, and she thought, "Well,
0: that is funny." That's even better. All right, guys. Sarah Ann, you got some updates for the week? I actually do.
3: So on Wednesday, the twenty-first, we are having a CUS summit info session. If you're interested in learning more about the cine session, which is new for us for the summit, and/or the new changes to the poster session, please join in. It'll be at two o'clock mountain time. It's been in the newsletter and then there's another notice going out actually today. Please watch for that or let me know if you have questions and then it will also be recorded. I know that there are a lot of questions that are coming in and we just thought it'd be easier to do one big info session for everybody. And then actually the week between Christmas and New Year's, which I know is not not a time when people are typically trying to be online, but if you find yourself interested and available, we are having case review that week and would be delighted to include, we have one case open, so if you have a case that you'd like to share, whether it's Complex or simple, you know, whatever that happens to be, would would be delighted to include anyone's case. So let me know on those ones. And then the date is set as Tuesday, January 17th. The location is not determined, but for us to get together while people are east. So put it on your calendar Tuesday, January 17th. More details coming. But do not accept any other dance card opportunities for that night. And uh, we'll plan to get together and say hello while we're in Orlando. And hopefully it is warmer than the snowmageddon here in Utah. This is day five of snow. Inappropriate.
1: Nice. I'm jelly.
0: We're going to get like two feet tight and tomorrow night. So rough. Well, let's do some final stitches. Who wants to go first?
1: I can go first. <laughs> you know, it's the newbie. I'll just step right out there. I uh, I think I wanted to say a word about surgical education that's been on my mind, just a sort of passion of mine. And I'm one of the associate program directors at USC. So we're in interview season where we're uh, getting to know some of the applicants who are just starting off their surgical journey. And I think in a couple of those, those conversations with applicants and also with, with some of our trainees, just really got me thinking about how central mentorship is in our field. And just also thinking about being here and and about Tom and and our relationship and thinking back to when I was a resident, what it's like to sort of look forward to the people that are doing what you aspire and sort of living that dream that you have and, and how it is to have that relationship with them to kind of keep you going when you're sort of at the bottom of the bottom. (laughs) And, you know, in acute care surgery, that's the middle of the night consults when you're down in the ER and waiting through it all with your attending that's got the job that you hope you have one day. And uh, and now being on the other end of it and sort of thinking how encouraging it is when when you start to approach sort of feelings of burnout, but you have this great interaction with one of your trainees who just is is so in love with surgery. And so just, just thinking about how powerful mentorship is and and hoping that it stays sort of a central thing in in surgical training forever.
3: Very cool.
0: I'm going to go next because the only thing on my mind is snow, Sarah-Ann. You stole mine, but it's supposed to snow two feet in the next 24 hours, and it's going to be a ton of fun, and I'm very excited about it. My kids and I are going to shred the gnar for 24 hours.
3: Well, we hope you're happy and safe doing it.
0: Who's next?
2: It's snowing here in Omaha, so if anyone wants to join us in Omaha, Nebraska
0: for some skiing, you're more than welcome to come. Cross country. <laughs> I don't think that sounds very fun. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> Well, my uh, final stitch
2: gonna be pretty quick. You know, it's the holiday season. If anyone's looking to get me a, a Christmas gift, you're more than welcome to. I just was playing with the new Oculus, the second generation virtual reality, the other day. Oh my gosh, it is amazing! You can actually like see through the glasses now, and like, oh, it was so incredible. So, you know, that's on the top of my wish list for this holiday season. If if anyone's interested, just text me and I'll send you my address.
3: That's so nice of you to just you know provide your own your own Santa's list right on the pod. That's gracious.
2: Yeah, yeah. Why not?
3: Why not? Sometimes like Oprah puts out a list of gifts you can give to other people and you just put out a list of things people can give you. So you're like the reverse Oprah. I like it.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Zach, send me your Venmo. I'll post it on the podcast so people can just give you money so you can buy yourself. <laughs> yeah. cash, okay? Sounds good.
3: That's very similar. Dr. Hansen, do you have one for us?
4: Ooh, that's a good question. My final stitch is, you know, I think like Dr. Lewis said, and again, it's an everyday thing that you're learning something, I'm trying to just take it a day at a time. Today was a good day, right? You know, we get to talk with each other, to get hands on with a lot of stuff. And then, you know, there was some free food at the hospital, right? Can't complain about that. Dessert contest, I, you know, had to try all of them.
0: They made me, it was
4: not a choice
0: poor carl poor carl your final stitches are always about residency you're just getting crushed about
4: (laughs) (laughs) well i not really i i mean it's just it's it's the most interesting part of my life which sounds maybe really sad but you know hey i haven't hit the slopes yet so i have my skis but not my boot i have my poles but not my jacket so it's a come on up carl
0: it's 15 minutes away
3: it's an evolution. It's an ev- that, I think that's the that's how skiing goes. It just it's a continual equipment evolution.
0: No, like I
4: have all my stuff. My brother brought me my stuff, but my skis are like neon yellow, and my boots are black and red. He's a guy that likes to have similar color things. So he brought me my, oh my boots that are neon yellow. Oh my God. What's stopping like, Those you aren't from my boots?
3: skiing is color coordination.
4: Exactly. <laughs> what are exactly. you,
3: Peekaboo Street? Get I on the I, slopes.
4: I, <laughs> I picked the good gear, he would pick the colors. So oh my gosh. I, I have
2: skis, but no boots. <laughs> Crisco, are you officially opening up your house for uh, anyone in Seawis to come and ski this year? Oh,
0: absolutely. A free condo to stay at down on the mountain, slope side. You guys can come and visit it. whoever wants to come. Seriously. I'll even pay for your skiing. Offer accepted. See see what needs to come. So bold. All six
3: listeners to this pod are going to take you up on that offer.
0: Hey, more like we're up in the 80s, you know. It's big. And we've had over thousands of listens and downloads. So we're pretty big. big. I sent mine out far and wide. So I think we went up by at
4: least 10. I think it it reached at least 10 people. I love it. My mother listened a couple times.
0: (laughs) Mine too. I love it. Another mom. This is great. Sarah Ann's and Carl's mom. Yes.
3: (laughs) And our listenership grows.
0: Sarah Ann, what's on your mind?
3: Okay. Well, I will keep mine snappy, but this is a very special week for me. So I'm going to tell you about it. So on December 20th, it is my 20 year anniversary of being diagnosed with hydrocephalus, which makes it my golden year, 20 on 20. So I... I am feeling all the feels about it and just kind of reliving that time frame. Like I, for those of our pod listeners that that don't know about, you know, kind of that, that time in my life or wouldn't have known me then, of course, I was working at LDS Hospital, which is one of the Intermountain Healthcare Hospitals and had just been sick for a while and specifically, you know, pretty sick for about a month and determined later that I had kind of congenital compensating hydrocephalus, but finally came to a head on December 19th when I passed out in the hospital. And of course, you know, when you pass out in a hospital cafeteria, People make a big deal and kind of overdo. But that night, my dad was on the phone with my uncle, who's a surgeon, and was, you know, lamenting and saying, yeah, Sarah passed out in the hospital today. She's so embarrassed, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and he was like, huh, and kind of thought about it and then called the next morning and said, you know, I've been thinking about this. And and I think, you know, there's a lesson there for all of us that, you know, when you're kind of brewing on something, but not so sure. Like, you know, the, the opportunity exists to pursue it and follow up. And, and he did. And so he called and said, you're going to the hospital anyway. You know, I, I've called, I need you to have a MRI. You're going to see my buddy who's a neurologist. Just take care of this. And I was like, oh, this such a hassle, you know, and I was so annoyed. And, you know, it's right before Christmas and I had all these things going. And, and I was certain, I was like, I was hungry. I just finished finals. Like I was in my last semester before I finished my undergrad. And like, there were all these reasons why I was like, it's nothing, it's nothing. Like he's like, yeah, but if it's something, you're just going to do this thing, like you're just doing it. And I was like, oh, fine. And so had the MRI straight to the appointment and then was kind of hustling the guy along. I was like, yeah, I got to get to work. You know, I, I work up on the fourth floor. I got to go. And he was like, yeah, no, no, actually, you don't, you don't gotta go, you know, and was direct admitted at that point to the hospital. And my neighbor and dear friend down the street was a neurosurgeon and grown up together with him and his kids. And so my parents called and was like, hey, Sarah's got a problem. Like, we need you to look at these films. And he was like, okay, you know, between cases, whatever. And, you know, it just life changed so fast. And I went from driving to work to in the ICU and bald and feeling all the feels of 20 years. I always spend December 20th, just kind of in a state of gratitude and try to do something to celebrate wellness and would invite all of you to do the same. Do something that enhances your physical or mental wellness on the 20th and because i will be celebrating
0: we definitely will good to see you guys that'll be cool absolutely gotta celebrate all right guys thanks sarah for sharing
3: it's good to see you guys so fun to see you dr lewis